Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast is brought to you by Genesis House and the Friends in Recovery community, a thriving network of individuals who are fighting back against the stigma of addiction and recovery. Join your hosts, the Podfather, Jersey Ed, as they break the silence and speak up about the real issues of addiction, treatment, and recovery. Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast is available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Now, here are your friends in recovery. Hey, everybody. Welcome to friendsinrecoverypodcast.com. I am the podfather, Mike Miles, here with Jersey Ed. Hey, squinting, guys, <laughs> squinting and linting. God, the sun <laughs> is killing me, guys. The sun. And I know. The, but the computer stuff. And I need to be in the studio. Vitamin D. Vitamin D. It's good for D, you. Yes, yes. What's you know, up, podfather? Well, you, well, not much. You know who's with us, though, right? No, who? Our producer extraordinaire. Sweet. Sweet. Oh, I forgot about the that one, guy. The one, the only. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Lurking and working is the that's new, uh, that's the new, the new phrase. Right. I'm lurking in the background, yeah. but I'm working really hard to make you guys sound and look oh. fantastic. I hope you've had can a nice you summer. Make me look better than this. <laughs> I will do whatever I can, but good, you know, we'll, good, we'll see. Good. We'll see. I, no well, promises speaking, for you, Josie. Speaking, speaking of looking better, I want to tell you who our guest is. She'll take all the 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 stuff off of us and go then back there. Kristen Casey. She's the author of Rock Monster: My Life with Joe Walsh. It's an amazing book, guys. I read it, and uh, oh, good Lord, man. It was just uh, brought me back to some of those days times a million. So uh, I can't wait to interview her. I, I've been uh, I've been reading this book, and I've been it's been by my side ever since. Right. I'm like, well, good Lord. So, when yeah, you're we'll, done, we'll have fun with it. When you're done reading, send it up, all right? I'll bring it up I when will. you come up, I'll bring all right? It up. Yeah, I'll bring all it up right. next week for your podfather. Right, because so. I'm reading boring stuff like Jonathan Livingston Seagull, and uh, I've yeah, had a good summer. Is. Yeah, I've read some good stuff. This book but. is not boring, let me tell you. I, uh, <laughs> I can't put it down. I'm, I'm, I'm actually done with it, but I can't put it down. But we're going to have uh, her talk about her, her crazy life and uh, and her new life, actually, too, with uh, good, good, with everything. So, good. But, yeah, no, Pod, I'm good. The sun, you know, the sun's bothering me a little bit. I'm not in a studio, uh, you know, spotty shit but you know i'm in, i'm i'm sober that's all that matters right. podfather every sun and, and every sunny day is a good day i don't care what's going exactly, on exactly exactly right. and speaking of staying sober our friends in recovery online meetings 12 noon and 7 p.m eastern Great daily meetings. every day we have right. podfather you spoke on him how the can past. you beat it how can you beat it i know yeah. i know and i Look. host two of those meetings and uh, we have um friends in recovery hosting the rest and uh you know yeah. just people throughout um please check out our facebook page and uh for for the meeting times and links um that you can get on to uh, to get to those meetings. If you want any more information, just call me at 617-379-1163 or email me at uh, or email us at help at friends recovery podcast.com and we'll um, we'll get you those links and you can go on, like I said go onto the Facebook page too. Anyways, so Well, you know, I'll, I just want to say a couple things um, about this covert uh, epidemic. Some positive things have come out of this. Obviously, brought families closer together. It's slowed life down for many people. Yep. And I think we all needed a, a break from that, especially with the crazy environment we're all living in. But more importantly, for people in the field, recovery field, whether you're a professional or you're just recovering or you see a professional, um, telehealth has been great. I think it's mm -hmm. going to be something that's going to be very useful going forward. A yep. lot of people, a lot of my clients that are agoraphobic don't want to leave the house. Um, who just don't have transportation. Um, I, I think that's uh, that's something that's very positive. And what you just said, Eddie, about meetings, seven nights a week, uh, you can tune in. So many people are just getting such a blast out of 
you know, sitting in there wherever, just zooming in on a meeting and and getting some real good recovery. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I got to say that positive i'll be i'll be honest with you podfather i think i've been to more meetings in this covid epidemic than i have ever been in my 26 years of my fucking recovery i'll be honest with you right i mean i'm on every night you know at every noontime meeting um you know we we have a really good family on on the friends and recovery um right online meetings i mean it's just we're actually we're actually going to meet next sunday not this sunday next sunday um in new jersey um, and we're going to all have a live meeting. So people, we get people from all right, over the country. Right. Get we to actually meet. have a woman. Right. Yeah. We right. actually have a woman that's going to fly in from possibly fly in from Arkansas to awesome. come to this meeting and people from New York and, yeah. and New Jersey, we're all, we're going to do, yeah. we're going to do a live meeting, which is, you know, it's amazing. And these right. are people, if this pandemic never happened, right. I would have never met these right. people. And I would never, right. my sobriety wouldn't be up here. You know, I mean, well, this, this really, you know, kind of skyrocketed our, our sobriety, the zoom stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a a, a positive, and uh, it shows you the the strength of recovery, and uh, you know, pe- and how close you can get to people without ever even meeting them. I mean, just by listening to their stories, you know, just uh, identifying with them. And I remember my sponsor. I've had the same sponsor for thirty four years. He told me, um, "Don't judge people. Just try to identify with them." You know, and, and you know, in the very beginning, and, and it, it's something that I've told my clients. I still do it today because. You know, you're at a meeting, you're at the same meeting every Friday night, it's the same people, and after a while, like, you feel like it's getting stale. So anyway, I think it's yeah. good stuff that's going on with this. Um, it is. These Zoom yeah, meetings. Yeah. Yeah. So you look- what's your thoughts on that all, Sweets? Well, I like what you said. I mean, the idea of uh, meeting people you wouldn't normally meet. You know, I think it's, it's definitely harder um, for me. I, I look at it like school, you know what I mean? There are certain people who can do online classes and certain people who can't. You know, like some people need yeah. the school environment to actually sit yeah. down and, and, and concentrate and focus. And, you know, yeah. the fellowship of school, meeting other students and being in class and talking to the teacher. Uh, and then there are folks who thrive doing online classes. You know, they can manage their time appropriately. They can show up to the meetings. They can yeah. engage uh, through uh, um, video and stuff like that. Yeah. And there are people who can't. Yeah. So yeah, I like exactly. that both are available options. And I actually saw an article just the other day, I think, that uh, that telehealth was now being made uh, a permanent option. Right. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah. uh, Mm -hmm. I think uh, the the Trump just made an executive order uh, to keep telehealth, which, you know, I'm hoping that carries on because it is a huge tool that connects people that couldn't normally otherwise connect. Right. And insurance insurance companies are going to continue to pay therapists for doing this. And, uh, you know, I I think that that's going to be very helpful too. a lot of people. Yeah. Just can't afford to pay out of pocket, and you yeah. know, if they have insurance and it'll cover this, that going forward, I think that's going to be a big plus for the recovery field. Absolutely. I, I was I was hesitant. I, I'm actually doing therapy oh, yeah. myself, and I'm doing telehealth, and and yeah. I was hesitant in the beginning. I was like, no, 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 but it's still available, and I decided to try it. And I'm not gonna lie, mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah, I, I do so. too. I agree with you on that. You know, here, here's another cool thing that my sponsor. I had my same sponsor for almost 18 years now, and he. Um, he lives up in North Jersey. I live in uh, Pennsylvania near, near Philadelphia. And he, um, I haven't seen him, or I haven't been to a meeting with him in years, but I kept him as my sponsor. I go to a meeting every day with him now. I get his experience, mm-hmm. strengths, and hopes on these Zoom meetings every right. day. I see him at right. the 12 o'clock meeting. I'm on, I stay on after the meeting. Him and I have a little personal talk after the right. meeting. And, you know, so that, even that case, you know, I didn't have to change my sponsor, yeah, you know, you which gotta, I wasn't going to, but, you know. Yeah, you get a but, great sponsor. I, <laughs> we had him on as a guest in here. We did, yeah. Yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's, a, he's a real good dude. 
Yeah, yeah. Look back a couple of shows. It's uh, Andy V is, is the yeah. show. So, yeah. But that's not what the show is about today, guys. This show is about sex, drugs, and rock and roll and how we put that in our past and how, what we're doing now with uh, Kristen Casey. She's the author of Rock Monster, My Life with Joe Walsh. Um, I found a little background on her um, uh, on an article um, on close-up news. And I'm just going to read it real quick. Um, and uh, I think it'll kind of sum up what she's gone through, what the book's about. But if uh, here's the book, it's called Rock Monster, My Life with Joe Walsh. It's, it's an amazing book. And yes, she signed it for me. It's in here somewhere. I, I got the, uh, the sign. It's going to be worth a million dollars one day and I'll, <laughs> I'll never sell it on eBay, I promise. Um, but anyways, uh, her book is uh, Rock Monster, My Life with Joe Walsh is a memoir of author Kristen Casey's life changing relationship with guitarist legend Joe Walsh. The rock and roll lifestyle was always uh, going to overpower his relationships. It's all consuming and I got consumed, says Casey. This is not uncommon when you read uh, rock and roll memoirs written by girlfriends or wives of rock stars, especially ones that have been became addicted. The lifestyle is dangerous territory. A lot of women get into it thinking we're going to be fine. Most of us are wrong. Casey met Walsh in 1988 when she was 20 years old. Walsh was 40. They dated seven years and were um, even engaged at one point. Um, Joe is one of the most unique individuals I ever met, Casey says. Um, he's, uh, he's different in a really beautiful way. He is, most in, uh, he is most in his element and most relaxed when he's playing music and coming uh, second to Joe's music was fine with me. Casey dipped her toes into the rock and roll lifestyle, but soon found herself uh, dragged beneath the current. Um, there are, oh, there are some things about that's pretty powerful. That statement there, certainly. there are some things about being on tour and being witness to, and part of the family of the band on the road. That's unlike anything else. It's, it's heavenly. I'm always grateful for that experience as Casey. I feel really privileged to take care of him on the road. Initially, everyone around him appreciated me, but after two years, I was part of the problem. Casey and Walsh broke up in 1995 when she found sobriety. Casey, who has wanted to be a writer her, her, life, her whole life, realized she had an um, interesting, interesting story to tell about uh, her years with Walsh and the demise of their relationship. My addictions were not just on substances like alcohol and cocaine, uh, she's, Casey said. I was addicted to Joe. I depended on him for my identity as a person because it was just so easy to take on the identity of a rock star's girlfriend and be a passenger on the wild ride. Relationship stories, especially stories of volatile relationships with rock stars will always fascinate people. But Casey's story was so entwined with her um, addiction. This is the most impactful relationship of my life. But as also, but I also needed to share what I knew about addiction with the world, says Casey. It's a, it's it's stigma, it's stigmatized and it's um, it's demonetized. Um, I f I felt I not only had the right to write a book, but um, a responsibility to write this book because I needed to add my voice to the wider conversation about addiction. Fans of Walsh will be happy to learn Casey still thinks the world of the rock legend. I still love Joe. I am not in love with him, but he was my best friend for a long time, Casey says. And I spent a long time asking myself, should I write this book? Do I have the right to write this book? How am I going to tell this story and still honor 
and respect Joe, Casey says. My hope is he'd appreciate it, understand what I was, what it was like from my perspective, but also um, being reminded of the good times because we really did have some great uh, things for a while. Welcome to the show, Casey, uh, Kristen Casey. <laughs> How you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Awesome. Well, nice. You're reading that. I'd forgotten all about that interview. That was fun for me. That's a wonderful, wonderful kind of synopsis of your life of that book. Um, I do encourage everybody to really go out and buy this book. Um, it's it's Rock Monster, um, my my life with Joe Walsh. Um, Kristen, that was that book is. Good Lord, I grew up in the 80s, so I'm guessing we're about the same age and, and the crack and the coke and the alcohol. I was like, I don't know how you're alive. I really don't. I just I just don't know how you're alive. Unlimited money, unlimited, you know, everything, you know, just just living that. Guys, if I can explain this book in 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 just a quick sentence or paragraph, it's everything you think a rock star's life is and then more. Um, everything you think that rock stars do on the road, that's what they did on the road. Exactly what you think in this book. Um, it's just unbelievable. So Kristen, with, with, you know, with me, not kind of going over the book, but um, give us your version of that and uh, let us know what's, uh, how you're doing today and all that stuff. I mean, this is a crazy life you lived. Yeah, no, it was definitely a crazy life and it was completely out of bounds. Um, you know, it, it, it escalated to a place that, um, you know, I could have died. In fact, um, I had some health issues afterwards, you know, um, I had sort of, I was sort of on the verge, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd done a lot of damage and, and the various, one of the various doctors that I went to, when I first filled out that new patient form and he looked at how much I used to drink and then had a little talk with me, he said, literally, you shouldn't be alive. You should mm. not be walking around. And I just thought, you know, I, um, I feel very lucky and I, I feel like um, because I was, because I lived that I kind of had a responsibility to make the most out of my life, you know? And so in a way, everything that I went through has made me much more engaged and grateful and happier, mm -hmm. you know, despite all the struggles health wise and emotionally and all of that. Um, I think I'm a different person than I would have been had I not gone through all of that. I think I'm a better right. person. I think yeah. I'm a wiser person and a more spiritual person for sure. Yeah, so. absolutely. Well, you lost, it seems like in the book, you lost your whole spiritual being. You lost, um, I mean, you were running from, trying to run from relationship to relationship while you had a relationship with Joe. Um, you know, the drugs to drugs, you were, you're, I mean, I, when you read the book, you can just see your life escalating, escalating, escalating. You're like, when is this chick gonna fucking crash and die? Like, like, and it keeps going another chapter. I'm like, there's still 15 chapters left. I'm like, what? How much more shit is she gonna go through? And it still goes and goes and goes and goes. It was just amazing. But even before you met Joe, you were, you were, and you can cut this out or whatever. But in a book, it said you were a stripper before that, and oh, yeah. you started you started using before Joe, obviously. Yeah, I don't like to leave that out. Actually, I think it's a really important part of my story. I think um, my story has a few layers, and the thing with Joe and the and the rock and roll lifestyle, and the thing about losing my identity is really important. Um, and it's not just rock stars, like a lot of women and people in general, but, but it tends to happen to women, I think, more often. Hopefully that's changing. But it's not uncommon for a woman to sort of lose her identity, whether it's because sure. she becomes a mother or because she hooks up with someone who's just got this really big life. And um, uh, so that's, you know, that's a major part of my story. But this thing about um, 
my work as a stripper and my trajectory before I even met Joe, because I was um, uh, a, for a brief period a meth addict. Um, I think that's a really important part of my story because I think there's this thing about um, uh, there's a stigma around addiction for sure. There's also a stigma around sexuality or sexual women in general. And I'm certainly not going to say that stripping is the healthiest thing for all women. Um, and, in, and for a time, um, when I did it later, it wasn't all that healthy for me when I did it um, uh, right around the time that right before I got sober, I was stripping and it, and it wasn't all that healthy for me because I didn't have great boundaries. But when I first started, it saved my ass. Um, I had just come through a short meth addiction as a 17, 18 year old. Mm. I had just got to Austin. I was going to UT. I had terrible um, self-esteem issues. I didn't believe I was ever I wanted to be a writer. I didn't think I would ever be good enough. You know, that was sort of my, mm -hmm. my daily mantra is I'm never going to be good enough for mm -hmm. anything. And so I dropped out. I mean, I started using speed and shooting up right away and I was in the punk scene and I got caught up with, you know, there's this a bunch of great people in the punk scene, really fun, smart punks who were making music and going to school. And then there was this contingent that was shooting up speed and beating each other up. And of course my, you know, my self image kind of identified more with that contingent. And so within six, or eight months, I'd spiraled seriously, mm -hmm. lost everything, spent all my scholarships and grants on drugs, Jeez. been ripped off, beaten up. I'd been abducted, threatened mm -hmm. with death. I mean, it was a real mess. But because I spiraled so quickly, I sort of woke up one day really quickly and got out of it and tried to find a job so I could go back to school and start paying off those loans mm -hmm. and um, couldn't find a job anywhere and needed rent. And a friend told me about this strip club. and. You know, I was a sexual person who was raised in a very sort of strict Catholic household with the schools and everything. And so I I was pretty inhibited, but I'd never been in a place where people were celebrating sexuality and sort of seeing it as a form of self-expression. And, and, mm -hmm. and while, you know, commercializing sexuality in general might not be the healthiest thing for someone, especially at my tender age of 18, mm -hmm. It was a positive experience in that, A, it helped me get back on my feet. I was instantly mm -hmm. making money. Mm -hmm. um, I was being appreciated. There were bouncers. There was no touching back then. Mm -hmm. I was being told on a daily basis that I was, you know, you did a lot of talking with mm -hmm. your clients back then. So I, I felt like, oh, people were telling me I was interesting and funny. So it was actually a real self-esteem booster. And it was also great to be in this environment where people just were not demonizing or condemning sexuality or a sexual woman. So mm -hmm. I think that's a, an important part of my story. I work in the field yeah. of sex therapy now. Um, okay. And it and it, there's a, a bit of a correlation or a parallel, I think, with um, uh, sexuality and intimacy and addiction, because mm -hmm. a lot of that is about connection or lack of connection. If you have intimacy mm -hmm. issues, it might be because you have you're unable to connect for whatever reason. And if you're unable to connect and you have a predisposition for alcoholism, uh, that emotional isolation can lead you down that path. And so yeah. there's a lot of parallels, I think, between yeah. those two yeah. worlds. Yeah. Well, well, the other thing too, um, you know, stripping or bless, uh, you know, whatever, it's it's an art and you're you're an artist. Um, obviously you, you, you write, you're very creative in the book. You're, you, you're very creative in the book. 
um, different ways <laughs> through Polaroids. And I mean, it's, this book is insane. It really is insane. I mean, you get, you guys, I really got it. You guys got to read it, but, um, but you're, but let me ask you this real quick. You know, most people think, oh, she has daddy issues. She has daddy issues in the book. From what I read, you really had mommy issues. Mommy was very not there for you and very um, like, short and curt and and this is it this is how it is and she made you poop in the water one time or or i mean there's this crazy stories that 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 you really didn't bring up your dad too much more it was more your mom in this book and my even throughout and I, the book yeah my mom and i had a very tough time of it and i'd like to say right off the bat like i love my parents to death and mm -hmm. we have a really great relationship now good. good but my mother and i my mother was you know her generation um and you know we're we're sort of my family my ancestry is northern european and they settled in minnesota and north dakota and they were farmers and they you know scandinavian you kept your emotions to yourself you yeah. just you know if you have a problem go milk a cow we don't have you know nobody wants to hear about it all right and so i was raised with that ethic and my mom had you know four kids like super she had four kids by the time she was 25 or 23 i guess or no 27 and um and a full-time job a high stress job um, as a emergency room nurse and she was not raised with this idea that therapy was something even asking for help, you know, so she was, mm -hmm. um, and she also dealt with depression, you know, her, my, mm -hmm. my mother's side of the family, alcoholism and depression. So, um, when I was born as the third in a row and my older two siblings were, you know, really sort of sweet and, and quiet. And I came along as just the loud redhead. Um, <laughs> we butted heads instantly. And my mom, tried to you know she did her best and she did some things amazingly but she was hypercritical that was part of her disciplinary style mm -hmm. and my father while he was much better at really showing love and making me feel lovable which i think is uh, you know really helped balance out um this sense of being unlovable i got from my mother he also was not that good about seeing what was happening and protecting me from it so mm -hmm. I do, I do actually consider myself to have in a way a little bit of daddy issues. And in fact, the stripping thing comes up again there because I feel like every time I would like score a dance from a customer versus him getting one from her, in a way it was uh -huh. like me getting attention from my dad, mm -hmm. you know, versus him siding with my mother. There's some, there's a whole dynamic, right. you know. I'm sure, I'm there. sure, yeah, yeah. There's but, only so much you can write in a book, though. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Exactly. I got another book probably in me about that. But cool. so my mom and I, we butted heads my whole life, and I just, um, I coped with that. I started drinking at around 15. I started mm -hmm. getting re really rebellious. I tried to win her love for like 12 years, and then from 12 to 15, I was kind of just like, screw you. So mm -hmm. I started rebelling, and that's when I started drinking. And then when we made the move from San Diego to, to, to Texas, it was really kind of tra traumatic and I started drinking on a regular basis. So I was a weekend binge drinker in high school, then came to Austin for college, started shooting up speed, got out of that, ended up in a strip club where I was drinking every night for free. I was only 18, but my boss would just, you know, turn a blind eye. <laughs> and then I met Joe at 20. I was actually going back to school and kind of really trying to get my act together and finally sort of developing my own identity you know my that that thing you're supposed to be doing in your teens i started doing yeah. around 1920 which is like who am i well i'm a you know i'm i'm a sexual woman i'm a creative woman i'm a writer i'm a little rebellious and very political very outspoken started owning all of these traits that had kind of been 
um, smothered in me as a kid that my mom didn't appreciate. And then I met Joe and got so swept up in his world and my identity as his girlfriend that all of those traits that made me unique and individual started to, you know, I just started to let them go. Instead of building mm -hmm. on them, I just let them go and mm -hmm. created a whole, you know, shadow identity instead. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're so... You know, I'm just going to say, you're just so well-spoken. It's so interesting to listen to you. Uh, this is good stuff. Thank you. Good. Yeah, very good. So, um, of course, you know, we want to hear a little bit more about your life with Joe and and uh, and all that stuff, because that's the juicy part. And, right. and of course, the recovery. So we're going to take a quick break here. Um, we're going to, we'll, we'll get into the little bit of what's what happened on the road. And is Joe still in contact with you? How your life is now? Recovery and all that stuff. And uh uh, we'll, we probably want to take us to the commercial break. Sure. Friends in Recovery podcast. Uh, we'll be right back. Since 1992, Genesis House has been helping real people heal from addiction on their private recovery campus in beautiful Palm Beach County, Florida. Their family-owned program is accredited by the Joint Commission and offers detox and dual diagnosis treatment in a comfortable and confidential setting. At Genesis House, they focus on treating the underlying causes of addiction. Their comprehensive approach includes psychiatric care, individual and small group therapy, trauma healing techniques, and holistic care including yoga, massage, and animal-assisted therapy. After treatment, their clients enjoy the lifelong support of a nationwide network of Genesis House alumni. Call Genesis House today at 1-800-737-0933 to speak with someone who understands. Visit them on the web at www.genesishouse.net. It's time to start your journey to a long and successful recovery. Welcome back to the Friends in Recovery Addiction Recovery Podcast. We want to thank our sponsor, Genesis House, for supporting this show, along with individuals in recovery and the people that love them. Friends in Recovery Community of Support holds events across the country sponsored by Genesis House in Palm Springs, Florida, Marlton, New Jersey, Newtown, Connecticut, and Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. The Friends in Recovery Addiction Recovery Podcast is powered by your likes, follows, subscribes, and shares. And please be sure to do us a favor and leave us a five-star review. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Friends in Recovery Podcast. I am the podfather, Mike Miles, here with Jersey Ed. Jersey Ed. And our special guest, Kristen oh, Casey. Very special. Yes. Take, take it away, Ed. Well, real quick, guys. I want to talk about... Um, uh, a couple things. Um, one is uh, SoberPod, guys. SoberPod is uh, is a podcast that um, that. Uh, hold on, I'm just losing you guys. SoberPod is a podcast that uh, that I've been in touch with for almost a year now. Um, Carl, Steve, Ellen, and um, uh, uh, Chelsea um, out in the West Coast, and they, and they uh, they always give us a a shout out every show, and uh, I like to give them a shout out because it's. Uh, it's kind of respectable and Carl is a firm believer in our meetings and Carl loves, uh, lo loves our show too. And he's been on, on this show a couple of times. So sober pod guys, look, look for him, um, in anywhere you get your, your podcasts from and, uh, check him out tell him that friends of recovery sent you and tell him we said hello. So, uh, Kristen Casey is our guest today on, uh, friends and recovery podcast. And she's, um, 
She wrote a book called Rock Monster, My Life with Joe Walsh. And uh, you know what? Like I said at the beginning of the show, anything and everything you think of a, a, a rock star's life and, a, and his girlfriend is, that's what they did. And probably, and she did it really, really well. Let me tell you, I mean, she and Joe really went above and beyond the call of duty in this book. Um, but, uh, you know, Kristen, before the break, we were just talking about, you know, your life as you're growing up and, and um, you know, uh, mom and dad and, and, you know, the strip clubs and, and all that. But what was the road like? Like, what were you, I mean, you were going to sleep at four o'clock in the morning, waking up at God knows what time. And, and, and um, what's this monstering thing? I, 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 I want to know about monstering because I'm pretty sure I've done it, but not on the scale <laughs> that you have. Okay. But um, there's a term in her book, uh, guys, that's called monstering her and Joe would monster. So I'm guessing it's about sex and drugs and, and just being yeah. out of your body and mind. Yeah. I mean, it basically means, yeah, like being out of your body, like being an animal, like it basically means just like going completely over the top, being excessive. So like you can use it as a verb or a noun or an adjective. So it was, and it was like our pet name for each other. So mm -hmm. if we went on a binge, when I say if, when we would go on a binge, which, <laughs> you know, it'd be like at least once a week, we'd go on like a 48 hour binge or more, um, you know, it's sort of towards the end of it, the house would be trashed and there'd be like, you know, rolled up dollar bills everywhere and sex toys everywhere. And and you know empty bottles of booze and full ashtrays everywhere and we'd kind of look at each other as we'd head to bed and be like man we really monstered or you know or if joe dumped out some blow and he's like you know go ahead and i snort you know half of it at once you know half a gram at once or something he'd just look at me like you monster you know or <laughs> if his bass player called and said can you guys hang out we'd be like no we're monstering it just meant that we're just like comparting our butts off right now and um it was sort of a term of affection in a way, you know, and or an acknowledgement of the fact that, you know, we were completely out of bounds, but it was just like a, you know, a little running joke between us. So it mm -hmm. wasn't an insult. And the name of the book is sort of, it's a play on words because, you know, Joe was a rock star and he was a, you know, party monster. I was a monster as well, but I was also eventually addicted to crack rocks. And so the title is kind of about both of us, but in a way, uh, you know. That's, how did you meet? How did you meet sense. Joe Walsh? So I was stripping with this uh, friend of mine, Vicky, and she had been dating his bass player. She'd met them at an autograph signing when they'd been in town like the year before in Austin, Texas. And um, Joe had a girlfriend at the time. When they came back, it was um, May of uh, 88. He was 40, I was 20, and he was here to play a festival. And I'm working that night with my friend Vicky, and she had told me she was dating this, you know, bass player, but you know, I was 20 years old. I, I didn't really know the name Joe. She, I'm sure she told me his name. I it didn't mean anything to me. If she just said he was with the Eagles or something like that, that would have clicked. But um, I knew his music, but I didn't know the name. So she's like, why don't you give me a ride to the hotel? So, you know, the guy I'm dating, um, I want to hook up with him tonight. And um, on the way there, she said, it's like two in the morning. You know, we've been working all night. She's like, come up with me. I want you to meet the singer guitar player. I think you guys will hit it off. So it was, I think kind of like her sly way of fixing us up. Cause he had just broken up with someone. Right. And I was like, yeah, all right. Like I'm going to meet him to be polite. I thought he was like some one hit wonder from the seventies mm -hmm. is what I'm thinking. So I go meet him and I'm like instantly enamored. And 20 minutes later, I hear a voice in my head that says, this is the man you're meant to marry. I mean, I literally heard like the skies parted and I stayed all night and we just, um, you know, we, we did what you do. He offered me some Coke. I didn't do any Coke, but I just was slowly falling in love with him. And um, the next day he played the gig and had left me some tickets. So I go see him play. And that's when I start, 
I hearing all of these songs that I recognized from the radio. Right. I was like, oh my God, this guy's a rock star. Like I was a one night stand. He's never going to call me. Um, so it's kind of devastated. And then, um, cause I really thought we we're supposed to get married and he's never going to call me. <laughs> but then he did. And so um, over the next few months, we kind of slowly became a couple. And he started flying to Austin a lot. And then he, I started flying out to LA a lot. And, you know, by the end of that year, we were a couple and I was traveling around the world with him, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, going on tour with Ringo the next year. And all of a sudden, for the first time in my life, I felt like I had a tribe. You know, like I, I'd never had a tribe. I didn't feel like I belonged in my own family. I didn't feel like I belonged in a way in the punk scene. You know, I mean, I did, but I got, I hung out with the wrong crowd. So I got, I had to leave the punk scene for my own to save my life. And then even as a stripper, I didn't quite fit in. I, you know, I wasn't the typical stripper. I was just too cerebral. So all of a sudden I had this family and I was madly in love with Prince Charming. And, and a couple of years later, you know, I got to quit work and move in with him, which is of course when, you know, I was around drugs 24 seven, as opposed to just, you know, two or three weeks a month. And that's when my addictions got really, really bad. And when you, when you uh, were, when you were addicted, did you know you were addicted? In other words, did you ever have a, like a hot to hot conversation where he said, Hey, we got to stop doing this. Or you said, we got to stop doing this because you know how it is when you're up and down, you know, the, the reality sets in when you, when you're hung over and you're feeling shitty and you go, Oh, this shit's got to stop. Yeah. Yes. And no, like nobody really talked about addiction then in the late eighties, early nineties, right, right. where they do now. Right. And also Joe was so successful and I, and our life was so glamorous, it was very, very easy to convince ourselves that we didn't have a problem. Right. You know, we weren't homeless, we weren't missing work, getting fired, whatever. We did know we had a problem. We did know that we, you know, we, these weekly binges, you know, cause we used like five days out of every, he used every day. I used like five days out of seven. What Joe would do, he could moderate for a few days and then go off the rails. Every time I did coke, I would go off the rails. I'd do it until it was gone and the tri it was nobody, everybody was out in the tri-state area. Like I, you know, I was one of those, I, I never did like, you know, a little bit of coke ever. So Joe was aware from the beginning, I didn't start using coke with him for a few months, but as soon as I did, he was wary because he'd lost, I mean, this was a pattern. Like he'd had girlfriends um, go off the rails before that he knew that I quit speed. So I think he thought this is a strong chick, but when it came to Coke, no, that wasn't the truth. And so he was pretty quickly always trying to keep control of the drugs and rein me in, but we never talked about quitting except for one time he did go to Hazelden. His roadmanager, Smokey had talked him into going into rehab. I think it was like in 1990. And it took for a couple of weeks. Like he stayed for a couple of weeks and he stayed sober for a few days. But as soon as we got back to LA, around the friends and the band, and like his best friend was his bass player who was also his Coke dealer, right? Like, so you know how it is. Um, so we instantly started doing oh, it, Jesus. using again. Yeah. You know, we always thought we at some point would learn to moderate. That was the goal, always to just moderate. Like, especially when I moved in with him, I thought, you know, we'll just we'll just do blow from like Friday to Sunday. It'll be like a weekend thing. Right. Like, and it never, ever. <laughs> hey, what, what, Kristen, what, what about Don Henley? Was he, uh, was he close to Joe? Were you guys close? It seems like they didn't have a great relationship. <laughs> yeah, no. So the Eagles weren't even speaking to each other at the time that Joe and I got together. They did try to have a reunion. I forget what year it was. I want to say 90, maybe 
but um, uh, it was Glenn Fry who did not show up. So everybody was there, Timothy, Don Felder, uh, uh, Don Henley, they were all so lovely. Um, you know, they treated me great and they were jamming. And then even the next day, uh, uh, Glenn Fry didn't show up. And so he was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing this. So the Eagles almost got back together like in 1990. And then later as the relationship went on, Joe and I broke up in 93 for like six months and then got back together. And the night that we got back together was in February of 94. And we were in a hotel in Studio City and Joe had been going like more off the rails than I'd ever seen him. And so we were doing a bunch of blow and I sort of talked him into getting back together. And literally that, within minutes, the phone started ringing and it was the band, it was the Eagles having sort of an intervention over the phone, <laughs> um, talking him into, hey, we're getting the band back together, but we're not doing it without you and we're not doing it unless you get clean and sober. And he was furious because, mm -hmm. You know, it's some, you know, when somebody. Yeah, he's being singled him. out, sure. Yeah. But the truth is, he needed, you know, his career had been on a downside for a long time. He needed the money he needed. So he did it grudgingly. And he told me before he went in, I'm going to do this because the Eagles are getting back together, like, duh. Um, but when I, when I get out of rehab in four weeks, I'm going to throw the biggest party this town. <laughs> has ever seen and the funny thing was it took like rehab took i don't think he ever used again i on the other hand i didn't use coke much after that but i had a, i didn't go to rehab and so my drinking problem um especially once the coke was gone once he stopped paying for the coke i just sort of doubled up on my drinking which is pretty right. heavy anyway so our that last year we spent together from spring of 94 to to 95 i was on tour with him and the eagles a little bit, but, but basically we were just going two separate directions because my drinking was getting out of control and he was just really taking to sobriety. And the band was super supportive, like especially Don Felder, I have to say, was such a great guy. And Don Henley and Glenn Fry, you know, they were very supportive of Joe getting sober and everything, but they had so many, like, they were really immature guys. They had so many personality conflicts that by the time I started going on tour with them, I noticed like they weren't even talking. Like, oh, they, yeah, it was a really just... I mean, it was great they got Joe sober, but that band, um, I mean, they could have used some group therapy badly. Now, would you say Joe's still sober today? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Kristen, I'm, I'm, real quick, Kristen, I, I, um, in the book, and I, we're, we're running out of time here, but in the book, um, I noticed a, a touch of um, like humanity in, in you or maybe coming back to life was when your cat Rocky died and Joe called you up and said, uh, uh, that your cat died and and was that a turning point in your life for saying what the fuck is going on in my life i'm fucking out here like all fucked up and i can't take care of a goddamn cat let alone myself that's kind of what i got out of that piece yeah you know it, it was a wake-up call it just didn't take right away but i tell you writing that book and going over it and over and over it like doing draft after draft after draft it was a very cathartic experience and I sure. cried a lot during certain scenes, but you know, after like the 20th draft, none of the scenes <laughs> would bring me to tears except that one. That mm -hmm. one always made me cry. And it's a truth. The truth is I feel like I, I neglected my cat and, and allowed him to die. And it just, it, the way you treat your pets says a lot about the way you're treating yourself. That's right. That's it right. really mm -hmm. does. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't get sober for, you know, a number of years after that, but 
you know, sometimes along the way to getting sober, things leave an impact. And then you come to that moment where you get sober and you start remembering all those things and they, mm -hmm. and they inform your decision to get sober. Mm -hmm. And yes. that, that, that incident informed, and Joe was, so, we were on the outs at that time. And when Rocky mm -hmm. died, he felt so bad for me that he, he was like, come home. And, and like we, a child. we got back together for like 24 hours. <laughs> 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 it didn't last it, that long. Yeah. I'm yeah. a cat well, person, I, you know? Yeah. You? yeah Papa, can, you're a cat. Yeah, that's it. I, can, well, I have I five dogs it. here. I, I have five dogs it. here, and I have a dog named Rocky. And when I read that part, I'm like, uh, this is when it's got probably right. got real. And, right. and right. I, you know, I don't want my Rocky to ever die, but, you know, it, it'll happen. Yeah. And uh, yeah. thank God I'm sober today. Thank God we're all sober today. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and, you know, tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. We, we do have to kind of move along, but um, tell us what you're doing now. And, and, and you know, if, is there a website, um, how people can get a hold of you? I buy um, the the book. other thing, yeah, the other thing too, is I wanna, I wanna give away two books. Is that okay that we can, uh, we can yeah. give away two books to, to people who call us at 617-379-1163 or email us at help in, at friendsandrecoverypodcast.com. And I will have Christy send me two books and I will mail them out to you. And of course she'll sign them, but I have the first signed copy of this book ever. No, I'm just yeah. kidding. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I um, just got the paperback. The paperback is coming out um, tomorrow. So I just cool. got a box of those. So um, I've got some hardbacks and some paperbacks. So just tell me which ones that um, the winners want and I'll send those. Oh, that's um, awesome. yeah. Perfect. So, uh, uh, so what I'm doing now, like I got sober in um, 97, never used again. Um, Joe and I did actually stay in contact like off and on. Saw him a couple cool. of times. We even talked about dating again last time I saw him in 2006, but then he met his current wife like kind of shortly after that. And so it never happened. And then we lost touch in 2011. But, in, you know, once you get married, that happens. You don't talk to the single ex-girlfriend anymore. So, um, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I don't blame him. I understand that. So, yes. has, uh, he, has he commented about the book at all? Or I've, is not, any I've not heard a word, but you know, that's not just style. It's, you know, I don't know how he feels about it, honestly. Um, my guess is that he's probably ambivalent. He probably has maybe some positive feelings and some not so positive feelings. I don't know, he's, he hasn't said anything. Um, okay. But, you know, in that time, my journey, in fact, my next book is gonna be about my first 10 years sober. Because my journey, once I got sober, I mean, I had a really low bottom as uh, uh, Jersey as has mentioned. So I had a lot of health issues and I had a lot of emotional issues. I had a, a fear of intimacy that was so massive because it was terrified I was gonna do the same thing again, like lose myself in a guy. So I had to learn how to have relationships, friendships, had a relationship with my family, had it, and then very, very slowly learn how to put myself out there and be authentic and allow myself to be rejected and not take it as devastating. And, and so um, this overcoming this fear of intimacy that took me like all through my thirties um, changed my life. And thank God for the tools of sobriety. You know, I was going to meetings very regularly back then. It was really, I did a lot of sponsoring. I went to conferences all over. I mean, the, the program saved my life. Wow. It taught me the coping skills I needed. The principles of the steps mm -hmm. are, are the filter I see all of my life through okay. and my entire life is lived through and you know it's not the way everyone gets sober and i get that you know back then there were really no other options but it was what i needed and so once i got into my 40s and i realized that you know i actually thought about becoming an addiction therapist and going back to school for that but i i also realized that i have a my strength is um 
really more in the field of sexuality and intimacy, emotional and physical. And so I work as an intimacy coach now. Um, it's in the field of sex therapy. And I help people, some addicts, recovered addicts, um, most not, just people who struggle um, be, being able to put themselves out there, be authentic, really connect with other people. A lot of my clients have some sexual abuse or childhood trauma, um, but most people have some kind of intimacy issues. My clients um, have, uh, I work with a lot of like 30, 40, 50 year old virgins, you know, like people who have um, some pretty severe intimacy issues that are keeping them from really being able to date and have a, a fully rewarding and satisfying romantic or intimate life. And so, oh, my website is um, Kristen, it's super simple, kristencasey.com, and Kristen is spelled I-N, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-K-C.com, and you can get my book through there. It's, you know, you can get it on Amazon and anywhere books are sold, but it, my coaching, all about my coaching practices there, and all about my book and my future books, it's all there. Cool. Super. Good, good, good. Yeah, guys. So just go to her her website, kristencasey.com, and uh, there's more information there. Please give us a call or email us, and we'll get those copies of the books out. And um, Kristen Casey, this is uh, it was an amazing story. I, I I'll, I'll be honest with you. Thank God I go to m meetings every day because reading this book, I needed a meeting after every fucking chapter. I'll be honest with you. It is it is an intense book just to let everybody know there's a lot of, you know, drug use, a lot of everything in it, but it is definitely the demise of a human being and the and the, the rebirth of a human being. Um, you know, just like our lives are, you know, everybody's on everybody's on a path to, to their own recovery or, or not, re whatever it is. And uh, this is one that that is an amazing story. And you were a great, great guest, uh, Kristen, and, and hopefully we'll have you back on again again I'd and love uh, to. we'll we'll talk a little bit more yeah yeah thank you very much and thanks for being a fan of our show oh yeah it's fantastic <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, in fact i posted a couple of your um episodes recently um uh that thing cool. about, yeah they're on my facebook page um no i think you guys i think the world you guys i'd love to come back anytime Super. thanks great thank you great Kristen. all right Kristen casey author of rock Mots and my life with joe walsh um God, guys, this, you know, I, you got to read this book. It's just amazing, uh, yep. um, Mike and, uh, and, and Sweets. Uh, it just, just, you know, kind of, kind of tells, you know, the life of, of just an, you know, an everyday human being that can right. get caught up in something like this, you know? I'm going to go on Amazon today. I'm going to have Arlene go on Amazon today. I'm going to buy this book. Yeah. I'm yeah, excited to book. read it. What, what a great guest, Eddie. Again, you've outdone yourself. God, it's unbelievable. Uh, every guest gets better than the last guest. And every every last guest has been superb, unbelievable. <laughs> amazing. He was know, amazing. Amazing yeah, guest. Yeah, yeah. Well, we did take a little bit more we did take a little bit more time with that's um right. with Kristen, and that's good. So we're gonna probably close here and yep. um and then we'll uh you know we'll we'll that's it. You wanna take us out, Podfather? Absolutely. Friends in recovery um dot com and uh great show. Yep. Stay sober, everybody. That concludes this episode of Friends in Recovery, the Addiction Recovery Podcast. Thanks to Genesis House for supporting those on the path to recovery and for keeping this valuable resource free for our Friends in Recovery community. Follow us on Facebook for past shows and updates. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show, email us at help at friendsinrecoverypodcast.com. If you can't get enough of Mike the Podfather and Jersey Ed, you can catch them on Answering the Call, the First Responder Podcast, available on Facebook, Podbean, iTunes, and YouTube.